I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, before we dive into the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 16, I want to start by reading a familiar passage. You know this text well. Many of you have probably memorized this text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is Jesus speaking to us. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead of that, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. Because where your treasure is, there what? Your heart will be also. What does that mean? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is speaking clearly here in this context about wealth, about money. Where you place value and treasure and and your contentment, where you place your hope and your dreams in your wealth and what God has given to you in your treasures, your heart is going that direction. So what Jesus says is make sure that your heart is going the direction of heaven, store it up in heaven. Which begs the question, as Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Place money in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. That's, I don't know how to do that. Um, Dave Ramsey is not going to be talking about that tonight with relating to money. There's a 401k tucked away in heaven somewhere. And you've got to you know, find the secret phone number to call up Jesus and he'll get the account going for you. The question that Jesus poses to us this morning is how do we confidently store up for ourselves treasure in heaven? How do we put money in heaven? Um, Statistics would say that if you live to the age of 80, 50 years of those 80 years will be spent thinking about money. 50 of those 80 years will be spent thinking about money. Uh, We think about it a lot. It's, It's the commodity that we use to do everything in life. We think about it when you put your hand in your pocket and there's money there. You're thinking about money. When you put your hand in your pocket and there's no money there, you're still thinking about money. The money is so precious to our culture and our context. You have to have money to be able to buy food, have a, a place where you live, go to school, retire, all of those different aspects of life. Money is the central focus of all of those. Money is dominating. It is. But I think what Jesus would say to us this morning is this. If you want to have a principle with, with which you govern the use of your money, it would be this. Put your money in heaven. Put your money in heaven. Um, that's a simplified way of walking through Jesus' words. It's a simplified way of, of kind of consolidating everything that he says about money. Put it into heaven. Put it into heaven. This does not mean, and I want to say this right up front, This does not mean that you can't enjoy the things that life has to offer. There are a bunch of texts that talk about that. Enjoying the things that God has given you to enjoy with the money that he's provided for you. There are many things that you can enjoy. This is not going to be one of those sermons that says you need to go out and be a monk. Give up everything that you have. It's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I also don't think that this is going to culminate by the application of just let your family starve. 
You throw all of your money into the church, all of your money into missions, and let your family starve. Actually, the Bible would contradict that statement in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So you need to provide for your family, and there are good things that God has given to you that you can enjoy. But the question is, how do we take our money and store it up in heaven? How do we put our money in heaven's bank account? If that's the question, I think the answer is found in our parable this morning. Luke chapter 16. Go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. This is one of many parables. As I said earlier, roughly a third of the parables have something to do with money. We don't really like talking about money. Can we just be honest? I don't like preaching about money. I don't. It makes me nervous because I don't want to do two extremes. I don't want to come across prosperity gospel preacher that says God wants you to be rich, healthy, all that stuff. I don't think that's the case. Just look at Job. That's not what God had for Job. Um, gave him everything, took it all away, gave him a lot of it back, uh, more than what he had. But it's not about prosperity. It's about finding God in those moments of nothing. So I, I don't want you to hear at the end of this sermon that God wants you to be wealthy. I don't think that's the case. Um, I also don't want to go to the other extreme where we just become monks where money is the root of all evil. Um, we know that that's not the passage, right? It's not what the Bible says. Money is not the root of all evil. What is it? The love of money. So we've got to center ourselves on that. The love of money is a dangerous thing. That's one of the reasons why I don't like preaching on it, because I don't even want to think about it, because I don't want to love it. I don't want to love money. But we live with money. We have money. Some of you probably have money in your pockets right now. So we have to know biblically how to deal with our money. Jesus is going to preach through his parables about how to deal with money. And so I don't think that we would be wise if he spends a third of his time in the parables talking about money, if we never looked at one of those parables. We're going to look at one this morning. And it's one of the crazier parables that he told. This parable is weird. This is a very strange, you, you might be familiar with it. As we read through it, you're going to see this is a weird story. But Lord willing, as we make our way through it, you'll see very clearly how Jesus is describing for us the ways that we are to place money into heaven. Let's read this together. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. He called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, 
so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Father, I pray that you would be our guide. These words are so important. We need to know how to be good stewards of the resources you have given to us, and we need to know how to put money into heaven. So I pray that you would enable us this morning as we listen to your word to make a resolution today that we will not live for that which the world cherishes. We will not live for that which the world lives for. We will live for what you say is worthy of living for. We will live to make you known. And we will live this day and forevermore with an eternal perspective. Oh God, give us an eternal perspective. As Jonathan Edwards prayed, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that all I see in this life is seen through the lens of eternity. Even as we sang, as summer flowers, we fade and die. This is a short life, even though it doesn't always feel like that. So Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Point us to Jesus. Point us to our eternal dwelling with him and how to, how to live in light of eternity. We pray in his name. Amen. For our outline this morning, just three points. We're going to look at the story, the explanation, and the application. Jesus walks us through it. The story, the explanation, and the application. First, let's look at the story. Um, Verse 1, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. That's important to note. He's preaching this parable to disciples, to believers. Um, He spoke a lot of other parables to non-believers, but this he's speaking to believers. If you go back to Luke chapter 15, parable of the prodigal son, he's speaking that story to the Pharisees. He's speaking that to non-believers, but this he's speaking to believers. And he says, there's a rich man who had a manager. This isn't a a slave. Um, This is, think like a CEO. Um, This is, if you remember in the Old Testament, Joseph with Potiphar, um, this is that relationship. Uh, You can write down Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. Um, This is what is written about Joseph in relation to Potiphar. Potiphar left everything that he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except for the food which he ate. Um, So this manager is a smart man, uh, a well-to-do man. He is controlling all of the riches of this rich man. But unlike Joseph and Potiphar, um, Joseph was good and Potiphar Um, praised him for doing what he was doing. Um, This man is called out as squandering the possessions of the rich man. It's reported to the rich man, this manager squandering your possessions. So verse 2, he calls him, the rich man says, you need to come here, you need to give an account. What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Um, The the rich man um, makes a, a mistake here. 
he says, okay, before you're fired, I want you to give me an accounting of everything. Give me all of your books. Make a list of everything. I want to see it all. Um, the rich man should have just said, you're fired. He, he already saw this man is not responsible. This man is squandering possessions. It's the same uh, word family in the Greek as prodigal living back in Luke chapter 15, just squandering all of the resources. He should have fired him right then and there. He didn't. That's his mistake uh, because this manager is going to go and just destroy this rich man's possessions. So the manager says, what shall I do? What shall I do? My master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I like how he just owns that. He's, you know, takes a look at his, nah, I can't. Uh, I'm not strong enough to dig. This won't work. I'm also too ashamed to beg. I won't beg. So I am stuck. I can't do anything. I've lost my job. I'm being fired. I'm about to be let go. I have no money stored up. I have no resource. I have nothing. What am I going to do? Verse 4. I know what I shall do. This is the eureka, the light bulb moment. I know it. Ding. He's just, you know, sitting in the corner, sobbing. I can't do anything. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, ding. I know what I can do. And he creates a plan that is an amazingly shrewd, albeit deceptive and lying and dishonest, but shrewd plan. This is what he says. I I know what I can do so that this is the whole goal of what he's about to do. When I am removed from management, so I'm not fired yet. I'm about to be fired. But when I am removed, people will welcome me into their homes. I I don't have a home. Evidently, the home, the living was tied to uh, the the management position. So now that he's not manager anymore, he doesn't have a, a place to call home. He says, I need a home. I need food. I need sustenance, nourishment. And I have a plan. Listen to what he's saying. This is amazing. He says, I've never heard anybody say this. I've been fired. And because I've been fired, I'm set for the rest of my life. That's what he's saying. I have been let go from my job. And because I've been let go, I have a plan. I'm set for the rest of my life. This man's never going to need to work ever again based on what he's doing. So what's he doing? Verse 5. He summons each one of his master's debtors. Each one. That's a a plurality. There's a lot. We're only going to see two. Jesus just gives us two. But there's probably more than two. There's a lot of debtors that this rich man um, owns because of the, the indebtedness. And so he summons each one of the master's debtors and he begins to say to the first. They're kind of lined up as he's going to them. How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Um, This is not um, petroleum. This is not gasoline. This is olive oil. This is a huge commodity back then. And it says that there is a measure of oil. A measure is eight gallons of olive oil. So a measure of oil... Um, is eight gallons. He has a hundred measures that he owes. That's 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot. That's about 150 olive trees producing for about three years. It's a lot of olive oil that this man owes. And so the manager says this, you know what? I'm going to tell you that all you have to pay is half of that. Just half. Just write down 50. He discounts him 50% on the spot. You pay that now, 
your, your bill is done, paid in full, we're good to go. So instantly the guy says, yeah, I can't write the check fast enough. Here's, here's the bill, here's everything you need, I'm done, I get to go free, 50% discount. A 50% discount in olive oil in this culture and context um, would be a workman's salary for about a year and a half. This is a lot of money. So he says, go. You're free. No more debt. Then he says to another, verse 7, how much do you owe? This guy says, uh, I owe 100 measures of wheat. Um, he says, take your bill and write 80. So 100 measures of wheat is equal to 1,000 bushels, whatever that means. I don't know what a bushel is, but it's equal to 1,000 bushels. Let me give you a better number, a better context for that. It's about 8 to 10 years of growing wheat. 8 to 10 years of growing wheat this man owes. That's a significant debt. So to discount it about 20% is to discount it for about two years of pay. Um, this man is getting a good deal. So again, can't write the bill fast enough, signs the check, gives it away. And he does that with all of the debtors that the rich man owned. And the manager says, take all of your bills, I'm going to slice them in half. And then the master hears of it. Now, if you are the master and you hear that the man who's in charge of your finances has gone without your knowledge of it and just sliced in half most of the debtors, you're losing millions of dollars. What's your reaction going to be? I'll show you my reaction. Go to Matthew chapter 24. This is my reaction. Matthew 24, verse 45. Actually, just drop down to verse 50. The master of that slave, this is a wicked slave, will come on a day when he doesn't expect it, at an hour which he doesn't know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what I would do if I am the owner. Cut him in pieces. But here's where Jesus does something sensational with his parable. Um, this is Jesus' parable thus far has been just kind of a, What's happening? You're kind of scratching your head. I don't understand. And then right about verse 8, right before verse 8, it's as if Jesus takes you know, a, a verbal grenade, pulls the pin, and just lobs it right in the middle of everyone who's hearing. And he says, his master, verse 8, Luke chapter 16, verse 8, his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. He receives praise. He's not cut into pieces. He receives praise. Why? Because he acted shrewdly, crafty, cunning, prudent, smart, sharp, slick, wise, perceptive. He was shrewd. How was this manager shrewd? Let me just give you three very quick ways that he was shrewd. Number one, the manager saw the issues clearly. The manager saw the issue clearly. He knew that he had problems and he didn't just wish them away. Oh, well, I hope that everything will work out. I'm not going to do anything about it. I just hope it works out. No, he doesn't say, well, maybe the master's going to let this slide or maybe I'll be okay. He sees a predicament and he says, I'm going to do something about it. So he sees clearly he's in a jam. Number two, he has a care for the future. He looks ahead to the future. He knows the future's coming and he plans for it. That's shrewd. Um, this is the, the world of insurance. <laughs> We know that something bad is going to happen. So we're preparing for it. That's what this man does. Um, Jesus praises people like this in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. Um, he says that we are supposed to be people that plan for the future. Um, and in an internal perspective, 
And he says, those who don't do that are considered fools. He says this, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then what will you uh, get for all that you prepared for yourself? Who's going to give you money for that? You're going to die today. You need to plan for the future. That's what this man did. He was shrewd by seeing the issue clearly, pre- uh, preparing and planning for the future, caring for the future. And then number three, he made provisions for what he knew was coming. He cared about the future enough to do something about it. He saw the issues, he saw the future was bleak, and he did something about it. What did he do? This is what he did. He went to all of his masters, all of his, um, the, the, the rich man who owned all of these debtors. He went to each of them without the rich man's permission, and he cut a deal. And these people aren't even in on the deal. They don't even know that this shrewd man is lying uh, to his master. They don't even know that. But what's going to happen is, as he cuts these amazingly awesome deals with all these people, he's going to come back to each and every one of them. And when he comes back, he's going to say, hey, I was fired. I was fired. And guess what? Um, what I did with you, that transaction where I gave you an amazing deal, my master didn't want me to do that. He didn't even know about that. I was lying to give you a good deal. I just saved you so much money. I took care of you because I love you. I care about you. Now, in that culture, I mean, even in today, we would say, man, I owe you one. But in that culture, that's everything. You reciprocate when somebody does something. You are indebted to somebody if they do something that's amazingly awesome like that. And this guy just did something that's astounding. He just got them off of years of labor, millions of dollars. And so he's going to go back to every single home. And he's not going to overstay his welcome. Because he knows that at the end of that time period, he's going to go to the next house and the next house and the next house of all of the debtors to this rich man. And he's going, to, he's going to call on their generosity because he was generous with them. That's what he's doing. He's cooking the books in favor of the people who owed his master money. He's buying a future for himself, endearing himself to his master's debtors so that they would welcome him into their homes. And he knew, remember the the light bulb moment? He knew, I'm set for life. I'm set for life. I'm going to go around to 20, 30 of these people, and I'm set for life. I don't have to work a day in, in my life ever again. That's what he did. He was shrewd because he used the opportunity that he had to buy himself a future, to purchase friends in a very scandalous, lying, deceptive way. But that's why the master says, that was amazing. Didn't see that one coming. That's the story. What's the explanation? Number two, what's the explanation of the story? Hopefully you're a little bit more familiar with the story than when we first read it. Here's the explanation, middle of verse 8. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. This is Jesus' explanation. He says the sons of this age, non-believers, are more shrewd in their wealth in their, in their working, in their treasures, in their devotions, they're more shrewd in what they have than most believers, sons of light. That's believers. But Jesus is saying we should be like this unrighteous steward in some way, shape, or form. This is where, again, when you're listening to Jesus, you're, wait, should I be, I should lie. That's the parable of the, you know, the, the moral of this story is we should go out and lie to people. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this. Sinners have enough common sense to manipulate things to secure their future. They have enough sense to do that. 
They make provision for the future. Just think about all the work that we put in to retirement. Um, You think, okay, I've got 30 years or so, and I've got to project because I know that when I'm done working, I'm not going to have any more income, so I can't just not do anything. I need to have something planned, something prepared, so when the money stops flowing in this way, I can still live. Um, Non-believers do that. They do that well. Some of them. Some of them don't, but most understand we got to plan and prepare. Jesus says believers aren't that good at planning. They're not that good at preparing for the future. And Jesus isn't talking about the future in this world. He's talking about the future of the next life to come. Because we're not doing a good job. That's the explanation to say believers need to be more clever, more shrewd. If unbelievers are shrewd and clever and uh, amazing at preserving life for themselves in the here and now, and then they're going to die and go to hell, how much more should we preserve for ourselves souls that are going to die and we can encourage them with the gospel to go to heaven? The manager is being praised by the master and being praised by Jesus, not for the dishonesty, not for the lying, but for one thing, his ability to see what was coming and plan for it. That's why Jesus says he's shrewd. That's why the master says he's shrewd. That's why Jesus says we need to be like him because he saw what was coming and he planned for it. As if Jesus is saying here, it would be good if all people could see the issues as clearly as this dishonest steward could. You all are stewards of what God has entrusted to you and we all waste his possessions. One day we're going to give an accounting. Think of how it will stand with you in that day and prepare for it now. So how does all of this come together? Jesus tells us a story, he gives us a tiny little explanation, and then he himself gives us the application. He gives us the application. Number three, this is the application. Verse nine, he starts, there's just three points that he makes as he ends this parable to give us the truth, the nuggets inside of this story. Three points. Number one, he tells us that money is a resource to be used for the good of others. Money is a resource to be used for the good of others. This is in verse nine. And I say to you, this is his commendation, his charge to us. Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That's just worldly wealth. That's just the wealth that has no intrinsic value whatsoever to, to save anybody. Or It's just the, the commodity that we live in, that we lived with. So that's all he's saying. The wealth of unrighteousness is just the dollars and cents that we have. But he commands us to make friends using that money So that when it fails, because it will, we can't take that money with us. When that money fails us, the friend that you have made will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Notice he says eternal dwellings. He's um, putting that side by side with what he just said the the, um, unrighteous steward was able to live in for the rest of his earthly days. He was welcomed into the houses of those debtors that he made an amazing deal with. He's welcomed into those houses, earthly, temporal dwellings, and then he's going to die. Jesus says, do the same thing that he did, only with an eternal perspective, and you'll be welcomed into an eternal home with friends in an eternal home, never to be taken away from you. Money is an amazing resource, and it's to be used for the good of others. Money is to be used for the proclamation of the gospel, for missions, for evangelism, for discipleship. We were talking about this on Tuesday night at our men's group. We all get discouraged 
by the lack of fruit in our evangelism. Amen? I mean, how many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and they just say, no, that's great, that's for you, I don't really care about that. Or you invite them to church. How many times has this happened to you? You invite somebody to church on a Thursday. And they seem like, yeah, I want to come. They're really excited about it. And you're excited. Come Sunday, you're just, yes, I'm going to meet a non-believer that I invited to church. They're going to be here. And you're looking and you're looking and you're looking and they don't come. I know that that's happened to a lot of us. That's discouraging. You look at all these people that you're sharing Jesus with and nothing seems to be happening. Here's the blessing of this story. Jesus says, you know what? You use your words to share the gospel, um, but you can also use your money. Um, Don't be discouraged. If you are using your words to share the gospel and nobody's listening and nobody's hearing, it's okay. There's other avenues to have fruit in your evangelism. Use your money. Now, this isn't saying that you buy souls. We're not talking about indulgences. We're not talking about ways that you you purchase people to go to heaven. You're using your resources to further the gospel so that the work of the gospel ministry through the proclamation, the verbal proclamation of the gospel, as it goes forth, people will hear, they will be saved. Just think about as a church, we support a, a couple missionaries. Think about the people that are saved through their ministry. Sean Ransom, we had him a couple weeks ago in the Philippines. He's training pastors who are going out to churches who are sharing the gospel. You are giving money to CBC, and CBC gives money to trusted gospel preachers, and lives are being changed. Souls are being saved because of your dollars. Make friends as many ways as you possibly can. Shrewdly make friends that you'll see again in heaven one day. You can use your money to populate heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. This is a radical idea, but you can do it. This is like Matthew 25, 35 through 40. The sheep and the goats, the uh, story of the sheep and the goats. The righteous use their possessions to feed the hungry, to give drink to those who are thirsty, to clothe the naked, to welcome strangers, to visit the sick and the imprisoned. And Jesus says, you're doing that all to my glory, to me. If we are citizens of the kingdom, we should be investing in the kingdom. And there are so many things that can distract us from investing in the kingdom. Um, good things. You know, poverty programs, cancer research, there's so many things that we could put our money into that are great things. And I'm not saying that you don't ever do that. But your priority should be investing in gospel ministries that proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if you put your treasure into gospel ministries... You put your treasure into heaven, and your heart will be there too. That's where your heart is. Here's the reality. You may never be a pastor, ever. But this passage says that you can have greater impact than some pastors even have by the use of your money, by the use of the resources that God has given to you. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, running over, fulfilled, rich. God says, just keep giving. Give, give, give. God will take care of your needs. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. So sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Your spiritual harvest is in proportion to what you sow. So Jesus says, number one, in his application, use your money as a resource to do good to others. I love the picture he has here. So that on that last day, when you enter into heaven, you're going to meet the friends that your money purchased for them to be there. You're going to meet them. Um, There's a lot of people that I cannot wait to meet in heaven. 
Now think of the people that you're looking forward to meeting. Talking with Paul, the apostle. Talking with David. Hearing him sing. What, is it, what does it sound like when David sings? Does he play guitar or does he play a harp? Because I'm going to have to get used to the harp. That's going to be a very interesting thing in heaven. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the people, I don't know if you can call an angel a, a people, but um, one of the people that I'm most excited to meet in heaven is the angel that ministered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, I can't say that that's an original thought. That's Charles Spurgeon's favorite person. He said that once he goes uh, to heaven, he's immediately going to run to the feet of Jesus, worship at Jesus' feet for millions of years, and then the next person that he wants to talk to, so for millions of years, then the next person he wants to talk to is this angel. Um, We don't know what the angel said, what the angel did. We know that Jesus is weeping. He's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out, is there another way? Take this cup from me. Not my will, yours be done. And the angel comes and ministers something, some way to him so that Jesus stands up, resolved to go to the cross. I can't wait to talk to that angel. But there's another people group that I can't wait to meet. It's these people, friends, that I might not even know. I'm going to get to heaven one day, you're going to get to heaven one day, and somebody's going to come up to you and shake your hand and say thank you, and you're going to go, for what? You're welcome. You're welcome. I don't know if you've had those moments with people before where you're walking around. They say, hey, how's it going? I just had this at Costco the other day. Hey, how's it going? You go, oh, it's going good. Good to see you. I don't know who you are. Um, You just call everybody brother, sister. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Good to see you. Um, I think that's what it's going to be like in heaven for a while. Thank you so much for what you did. Uh, You're welcome. What did I do? Imagine all these trails that they're going to have to do. Um, your church gave to a pastor named Sean Ransom, and Sean Ransom taught me, um, or taught my pastor at my church, and my pastor taught me about the gospel. And I got saved. I got saved because you gave and supported Sean in his ministry. There's going to be countless people like that in heaven one day. So Jesus says, use your money now as a resource to get those people to heaven. Get those people to heaven. Number two, everything that we have belongs to God. And we always need to think of ourselves as stewards. We are stewards. Everything we have belongs to God. We are just stewards. He says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He was faithful in a very little thing, is also faithful in much. He was unrighteous in a little thing, is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who's going to entrust true riches to you? Who's going to give you more? You're not proving yourself to be faithful. Uh, Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, mainly this is God's money. We are stewards of God's money. Who's going to give you that which is your own? Who's going to bless you with money that you can use for yourself? You can't expect God to give you more when you are, um, as as the, um, the story was described, of a prodigal, just a wantonness of of spending your money and... um, This unjust steward was just going around spending everything of the master's. No, it's not going to get more. You're going to be fired. So Jesus says, everything that we have belongs to God, and we always need to think of ourselves as stewards. Meaning what? Meaning this, you can never say, oh, if only I had had more, I would give more. You can't say that. If only I had more, I'd give more. Um, You can give with what God has given to you. And if you are faithful in the little that God's given to you, you will be faithful in the much. It's not how much you have, it's about your heart. 
It's like the parable of the talents, right? If you do something with what God's given to you, he's going to give you more. But if you don't do anything, you just sit on it. You don't do anything with that talent. God's going to take it away from you. Money is a test of our faithfulness. It's a test of where your heart is. It's a test of your heavenly citizenship. Um, What you do with your money, the paper trail that your money shows and reveals, reveals your heart. It's divine stewardship. So do you use your money wisely? You can use money wisely. You can spend money the way that God would desire you to spend money. You can also spend money nowadays that you don't even have with credit cards. Um, You can acquire debt for yourself by spending money that you don't even have yet. So don't go that route because God's not going to be giving you more. Be faithful with what God has given to you. Use it well and be a good steward of the money that God's given. Number three, last point of application. Jesus says this, don't let money take God's place in your heart. Don't let money take God's place in your heart. He says this clearly in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. You either hate the one or love the other. You're devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. This goes to the heart of life. This goes to what you want, what you desire, what you long for. This is the core of your existence. What is your greatest love? This is an issue of love. You will love the one and hate the other, despise the other. You can't have a neutral stance. I think I'll take a little bit of God and a little bit of money and live for what the world lives for. No. Don't ever let money take the place that God must have. Be thou my vision, only my high king of heaven. My treasure thou art. So sinners are shrewd about their money and they use it well for limited futures. We should be more shrewd about using our money for the unlimited future of our eternal reward in heaven. So as we conclude, there's one last way the shrewd servant can be praised. One last way the servant can be praised. And it's this. He moved quickly. He acted quickly. He saw, I don't have much time left. I need to do this now. So my question to all of us today is, where do you need to act quickly? We don't have that much more time. We are going to stand before God and give an account before we even know it. So what do you need to do today? And and I want to say this just very clearly. Another reason why I hate preaching on money is I don't want this to be a, you need to give more to this church. Ever. Um, you give the, the way that the Lord's prospered you. And I want to say very clearly that you give so generously to this church. So generously. So that's not what this sermon's about. I'm not saying act quickly. And by the way, you should act by giving more to the church. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is go home today. Talk with your friends. Talk with your family. Talk with your spouse. Look at your budget. Look at the money that you have and say, are we giving as much as we can to gospel ministry? There's so many out there. You can, you can give to Sean Ransom on your own. You can give to David Reesman, other um, missionaries that we know, whether it's Vietnam or, or all over the world. You can give to missionaries. You can support a pastor in India with STN Ministries. You can, you can do a, a bunch of different things with your money. I'm just asking, where would the Lord tell you today, you know what? You need to place this money into heaven now. Act quickly. The reality is we need to live a wartime mentality. We need to live understanding that um, we're not at peace. We are at war with the enemy. We need to use every resource that we can 
help save souls. So, again, please hear, this is not a monk lifestyle. Can I tell you, can I encourage you, and I think it's biblical, go get a job and make as much money as you can. Do it. Make millions. Make as much money as you can. Live on what you need, be content, and give the rest away. That's, that's the whole reason why we're going through financial peace as a church. We're going through it not so that we can get out of debt. We're going through it not so that we can have peace with our finances. We're going through it so that we can deal righteously as good stewards of the resources God has given to us so that we can be a blessing to others and give money away. We want to be able to do that. We want to do that well. Live contentedly. Make millions. Live off of whatever you need to live off of, and then give the rest away. And God would be glorified in that. That the world would look on and see, this money isn't our treasure. Jesus is. And we could use our money as a resource to do good to others and save souls through the, the proclamation of the gospel. And be good stewards of the money God has given to us. Be faithful stewards. And live contentedly in this life, knowing that our greatest treasure is Jesus Christ alone. Can you think of the possibilities? God could do amazing things if we would be faithful. Let me pray and ask God's blessing as we think about these truths in our own lives. God, thank you so much for um, your word that sometimes is that grenade that's just the pin is pulled and lobbed into our midst and we just kind of scratch our heads. What do we do with this? But God, thank you for clarity. Thank you for an amazing story and the clarity that your son has given us. Thank you that he gives us the application of how we are to live our lives. And I pray that we would be found faithful, good stewards. May we be shrewd, planning for the future, not just temporally, but eternally. And God, I praise you for CBC. Uh, a more generous um, more righteous with their money, a more generous group of people, I don't know. And I praise you for their generosity and their love to see the great commission lived out in this church and to the ends of the earth. May we excel still more for your glory and the renown of your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.